Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. We're now in the second part of our series on godly homes. Last week, Dr. Spivey examined how the relationship between husbands and wives are transformed when we live spirit-filled gospel lives. Tonight, we're going to look at how the gospel transforms the relationships between children and their parents. So before we jump into Ephesians 6, I actually want us to look back at what we've already covered in Ephesians 5 so we get the context. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The whole point here is the gospel transforms relationships. It changes the way we, we relate to other people. And so when you live filled with the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit, it not only changes how we react and respond to one another in the larger church community, but the more intimate relationships of the family. So as we look at this, let's look at Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4 together. And after that, if you would bow with me as we pray. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and so that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word and for your instruction that you give to us, not only in how to be saved, not only in how to come to know you, but in how to live lives that bring honor and glory to you, even in the most intimate of our relationships. Lord, I pray as we study this tonight that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would see and understand and comprehend, and Lord, know what the will of the Lord is. And that we would respond likewise to follow in obedience to it. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So first, we're just going to walk through this passage. The gospel changes the way that children relate to their parents. The gospel changes the way that children relate to their parents. So there's a simple command here. Paul gives this command, obey. Now, the word that's translated here is hupakao, a different word from that that Dr. Spivey looked at last week that comes from verse 21 that we translate as be subject. Now, the wife, uh, and the husband-wife relationship is different than the children and parent relationship, as you might imagine. Right? You treat them differently anyways. But as Dr. Spivey pointed out last week, the wife willingly chooses to submit to her husband. 
Children, on the other hand, are expected to obey. Obedience is the law of childhood. Children are not just expected to obey the father. As we see here, it says children obey your parents. It's both. Now, in the Greco-Roman culture, it was expected that children would obey their fathers. Roman law gave the father virtually unlimited full power over his children. He acted as the magistrate. If there was something that was going wrong with them, he had the power to impose penalties upon them. And the paterfamilias even had the authority to decide on life and death of his newborn children. But the mother in Roman systems had pretty much no power, no legal power anyways. Uh, But Jewish law said that parents had equal authority over their children. Both mother and father should be obeyed. And as we see in a parallel passage, Paul writes that children are to be obedient not just in some things, but in all things. We see that in Colossians 3. So what is the basis for this obedience? Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So let's break that up into two parts. Obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, while this letter was addressed to the church at Ephesus, um, who we would assume that most of these children that he's writing to are there because their Christian parents are there with them. But this raises the question of what about those that are in our church or in other churches that don't have Christian parents, that they became a believer and they live with non-godly parents? Does that mean, as some have taken it, to say that Christian children only have to obey their Christian parents, or does it apply to everyone? Well, I think that this phrase, in the Lord, doesn't simply mean to obey Christian parents, but it, what it's saying is something different. It's, I like the way that the Holman Christian Standard Version translates this verse, if we want to put that up there. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. Because this is right. So Paul here, primarily speaking to children in the congregation that are old enough to understand Christian teaching, yet they're young enough that they're still living under their parents' jurisdiction. They're dependent upon them. So older children, teenagers, they're living under their parents' roofs. They are to respond to their parents, regardless of if they're Christians or non-Christians, with obedience Because it's part of gospel living. By obeying their parents in such a manner, they're not just obeying their parents, they're obeying the Lord. So children should obey their parents not necessarily because they're good parents, but because their obedience isn't just in a response to their parents, but it is to the Lord. Scripture says, The Lord is good, and the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so in obeying their parents, children are, are they're obeying the Lord. And in Colossians 3.20, Paul says that such obedience pleases the Lord. So if you're a Christian and you're a child living at home, your goal should be to please the Lord. And one of the ways you do that is by pleasing your parents, obeying them. So while the commandment is pretty simple, Paul expands on this idea by providing some additional reasons 
that children should obey. So we're going to look at a few of those reasons. First, he says here, still in verse 1, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So what does Paul mean when he says this is right? Well, there's some debate on this, as you can probably imagine. could mean that it's righteous, it's just, which would make sense in the context of proper Christian living. But I think it's more general than that. I think it's responding to a, a general natural order that God has placed in the universe. Because if you look at any culture across the board, every human culture, the children are expected to obey at least one of their parents, if not both of their parents. And so because we're looking at this in the context of the ancient world, even the, the Greek Stoics had the same idea. And even in our culture today, around the world, some more so than in America, America is probably the, the lowest on this end of respect toward parents. But the idea is this common understanding that across cultures, the proper place of children is to obey their parents. And Paul considered disobedience to parents to be a sign of Gentile depravity. If you look over in Romans chapter 1, Paul lists out some of the uh, ideas of a sinner, someone who's living counter to the way God has orchestrated everything in, in the earth. And so he lists disobedience to parents as one of the signs of a depraved mind. And if you look in his second letter to Timothy, he considered such disobedience to parents to be a sign of the last days. Now, if we look around at our culture today, you can do with that what you will. But at the same time, there's more than just this general rule. Paul makes it clear in the next couple of verses that this isn't just about a general principle, but it is an issue of Christian discipleship. Look with me at verse 2. He says, he quotes from the Old Testament here, Honor your father and mother, and then this parenthetical statement, which is the first commandment with a promise. So let's, let's focus on that first part, the, the commandment. And what I want us to see from this is that obedience to parents reflects how one, one's attitude toward God. Let's put it that way. So he looks at the Old Testament law, the, the fifth of the Ten Commandments, to honor your father and mother. In fact, if you look further into this, the Old Testament has this idea all across it that the duty of children is to honor and to obey their parents. And so to honor one's parents is to show respect to them. While this includes while you're living at a parent's home or you're dependent upon your parents, uh, that honor includes obedience. And so the, the way children act towards their parents in the Old Testament shows how the children responded to God. One commentator wrote this, A child's honor and obedience to the parents is the first important step in learning to honor and obey God. If a child dishonors and disobeys the parent, he or she will most likely have the same attitude toward God. And so, first off, the reason that Paul gives is, not only is it right, but the Lord expects it. It shows how you're going to relate to Him. And He takes that very seriously. And we'll look more at how seriously He takes that here in just a minute. But this idea of honoring, this goes beyond mere obedience. Because especially in the Roman system, a child has to obey his father. Not necessarily out of love, not out of honor, not out of respect, 
but because of fear. He holds life and death over him. So the child may not care anything about his father. He, he may not even love his father. He may hate his father. But this isn't the idea that, or the ideal that we have in Scripture. The ideal is that he would love, honor, and respect his parents. So children are not only to obey, but they're to go further than simple obedience to honor them. And so, as I mentioned earlier, this involves obedience with a respectful attitude while dependent on one's parents. But it extends further past that time of dependency because eventually life happens. Child grows up, they move out, maybe they go to college, hopefully they don't come back. They maybe get married, begin to have children of their own, and they become responsible for their own choices. And at that point, obedience is no longer a requirement, but honoring them still is. So parents must still be shown care, still must be shown respect, and both the Old Testament and the New Testament place responsibility of care on aging parents on their children. So honoring one's parents honors the Lord, honors God. But what happens when you don't honor your parents? It's, I find it interesting that in verse 2 and verse 3, Paul points this, has this little parenthetical statement, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So what's, what's this promise that you may live well? Now, if you really start to dig into this, you start to go, well, Paul, I think you took a little liberty with quoting the Old Testament there. Uh, that doesn't, it's not exactly what it says. Uh, and so many commentators, they will skip over this or they may try to spiritualize it. But I think there are two ways that Paul's intending for us to see this here. One is negative and one is positive. So let's, I like to get the bad news first so it always gets better from there. So let's do the, the negative first. If you look in the Old Testament, children who disobeyed their parents, and they persisted in doing so, if they did not respond to their parents' chastisement, do you know what happened to them? Parents could take that child to the elders at the city gate and they would accuse them. They're not responding to the chastisement. We've given them however many chances, whatever. And the elders would call all the men of the city together, and they would stone those children. In Exodus 21, if a child hit their parent, the child would be put to death. And especially in Deuteronomy, it says that God considered such a rebellion against parents to be an evil that the people had to purge out of their midst. They had to get rid of this evil out of their community, out of the community of God. And it goes back to what I said previously. The way that a child acts toward his parents shows how he's going to respond to the Lord. If he can't take discipline from his parents, he can't take discipline from the Lord. And so these, both of these two passages I just spoke about, obedient children are pun not simply punished, but they are they are killed. So I, I, but I also think there's this proverbial type of quality to the promise that we read here. And that's this idea that generally 
Parents want what is good for their children, right? We have several parents in here, right? You want what's good for your kids. You want to keep them safe. You want to make sure that they're not doing something wrong. But you also want to help them foster self-discipline to know this is wrong. Whether I'm here or not, whether I'm going to punish you or not, this is wrong. So you want to instill in them some self-discipline. And so failure to follow one's parents' rules could mean that something bad happens. Do you remember the story of Pinocchio? The story has been transformed over and over as it's gone throughout different iterations and generations. But the idea is that Pinocchio follows a puppet that the carpenter, Geppetto, carves out of some magical wood and adopts him as a son. Now, the Disney version, I think there's a fairy involved or something like that. Um, Watching over Pinocchio as he comes to life and tries to adapt to his new surroundings is a talking cricket who dispenses numerous pearls of wisdom, which Pinocchio refuses to follow, and a fairy who guides him as he suffers the consequences of his poor decisions. Well, in one of the stories, when Geppetto takes his new son to school, he sneaks across the street to a puppet show instead. And as you can imagine, a creature made out of wood at a puppet show gets kidnapped by the puppeteer, and he's looking to add some new performers to his show. Uh, And so then later on, Pinocchio runs off to Pleasure Island, where he's turned partially into a donkey, sold to the circus. And of course, we all know this one, whenever Pinocchio lies, what happens? His nose grows. And so the Adventures of Pinocchio were, was originally written as a cautionary tale for young children about the dangers of disobeying their parents. So young people who recklessly ignore their parents' teaching about right and wrong and good and bad, they're more likely to end up in an early grave. So, but by listening to their parents, children learn to avoid mistakes and to have a better chance of enjoying a better, longer life. But generally, honoring one's parents fosters that self-discipline, which brings stability, it brings longevity, it brings well-being, while dishonoring their parents, ignoring their parents, not obeying their parents, demonstrates a lack of that self-discipline, and that results in an instability and a lack of well-being and a generally lower quality of life. Well, in the Christian context, children who honor their parents are more likely to honor God, as we've said. Children that obey their parents' rules are more likely to obey God's rules, God's commands. So believers who are filled with the power of the Spirit are the children who will respond to obedience to the command to obey your parents. But in verse 4, Paul stops addressing the children and he turns to address The fathers specifically. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So both groups, parents and children, have obligations toward one another. Children are to obey, but also parents are to live spirit-filled gospel lives toward their children. So there is still this element of the Christian home that it's filled with Grace, it's filled with love, 
and all of the members of the family are responsible to understand that they aren't just responsible to one another, but they're ultimately responsible to the sovereign Lord. So here, Paul gives this brief word of instruction to the parents. Once again, last week, Dr. Spivey said that the wives are equal to their husbands, but the husband is the one ultimately responsible to God. In both the Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures, the father was responsible for the education of his children. And I like Dr. Spivey's uh, saying here, so I'm going to steal it. Authority can be delegated, but responsibility cannot be. So the father could send his child to a Hellenistic school, or he could hire a tutor, or he could have a slave teach him. But ultimately, the father was the one who was responsible for his child's education. Now, I mentioned earlier how great the power of the Greco-Roman fathers was over their children, and they had nearly unlimited authority. And children were expected or forced to obey, but they may hate their fathers because of the way they were treated. Now, this idea of the parents not provoking their children to anger or to wrath is really backwards for their culture at the time. Children were told not to obey because they were afraid of being punished. They were to obey because they follow God. And likewise, the the parents aren't to respond in such a way to make their children hate them. It was harsh discipline and strict rules. They were told to treat them with love and respect. And so the gospel completely overturned the cultural views on children and the way that they are to respond to their parents. And the gospel directs fathers to use their authority that they've been given wisely, not to bully them, their, their kids around and have what they want to be done, not because they demanded respect, but because their children would respond to them better and they would exemplify gospel-filled spirit living by loving their children and teaching them and improving their lives. How do they improve their lives? Well, we'll look at that in just a second. But here's the reality. In counseling, so many people, you find that a lot of their issues stem from, or at least they would identify, stems from their daddy issues. The way their father was there and treated them harshly, or the way their father was absent. So I I think we need to be, as Christians, we need to be a positive influence in our homes, not just the way we treat them, but also, more importantly, raising our children to honor and to follow the Lord. And so Paul gives a word here. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Bring them up. That phrase is the same as the word used in 529, where Paul speaks about the man does not hate his own flesh, but nourishes it. So we're going to use this word nourish here. Nourish your children. Not only does the husband nourish his wife and care for his wife as his own body, but he provides for the proper growth, for the proper health, and for the good condition of his children, the quality of care towards the husband and the wife as also the quality of care of his father to his children. 
So physically, people require proper nutrition to grow healthy, to grow strong. The, the body needs a proper balance of fruit, vegetables, grains, and proteins, which in American culture, we generally don't get that balance quite right. But the Father is there to provide for the physical nutrient needs of his children. There's also a need for shelter. So the father is to work with the mother. The parents are to provide a place for the children to live. But there's needs that are greater than the physical. And I think this is the real point that Paul's making, that the father is ultimately responsible to God for how the family is led. The mother is there an equal partner in raising the children and in many other areas. And so I believe every man is the spiritual leader of his family. That's God-ordained. But the question is, are you a good leader or are you not a good leader? The question is, are you leading your family toward God or are you not? And so the greatest need of the family is not food, it's not shelter, but proper training in the Lord. And so Paul writes them, nourish your children. And how do you do that? He says there's two ways, by discipline and by instruction. So the first here is discipline. It comes from the word paideia, from which we get the word pedagogy, the idea to teach. Every teacher in training is required to study about and to write about their own pedagogy, their method and their practice of how they're going to teach children. Uh, and so this idea refers to the process of training a child from infancy to maturity, including discipline. This idea is both negative and positive and have different aspects of training. Both are aimed at guiding the child's development and their understanding of who God is and how God operates and how we are to live according to God's word. And so the father is there, the parents are there to correct the child in love. But sometimes that includes a little bit. I don't really like the word punishment, but the idea of physical discipline or timeout or something like that. But remember verse, the beginning part of chapter four, or verse 4, uh, that the gospel elevates children and the way that we're to treat them, we don't discipline too harshly. Some parents take this idea too far, and they go, well, I'm just not going to discipline my kid at all. And I think a lack of discipline is probably even more so in our current culture today than the over-discipline. And uh, I think a lack of discipline shows an, either an idolization of your kid where you, you want to please your child above all else and so you make them an idol or you don't care at all and there's just an apathy and I think that's the greatest form of uh, child abuse that there is. Either proper parenting requires to have proper discipline. It requires a correction and gentleness of that which is wrong into the direction of that which is right. And this direction, I think, is summed up best in the next word, and that is instruction of the Lord, or another version would say the admonition of the Lord. This means putting in mind. This is the instruction to go the right way. It carries this idea of warning. How often in the Old Testament did 
did he come did God send prophets to say you're going the wrong way you need to turn around you need to repent of your sin you need to come back to me there's this idea of warning and it helps the child to avoid bad decisions which would lead them to harm and so together with the discipline and the instruction the the nurturing and the admonition that's the total training of the kid but it's not just in general understanding. Yes, we, we need to do that. We need to train them up in general knowledge of how to live in the world. But this phrase goes beyond this because it's not just bring them up in discipline and instruction. It's bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So God has provided the instruction book for proper parenting in his word. He's the source of how to train children properly. Proverbs gives us this great principle. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Notice I said that's a proverbial principle, not a promise. So I know some people who've clung to that as a promise and were heartbroken when they had children that did not go the way that they had trained them up. But it's a proverb. Raise them right, they will live right. But more importantly than just raising them right is raising them godly. And that's what we're talking about in this series, is raising them up godly to live godly principles. Treat, treat them, help them understand who God is. Help them understand how we respond to God and how we are to live according to God's word. That's what we're talking about. Parents must rely on the Holy Spirit to teach their children to walk worthy, to be wise, and to be filled with the Spirit. And the best way to do this, I think, is to live it out before them. Devotional writer Henry J. Bosch once wrote in Our Daily Bread this story, uh, that when he was a boy, he would often go work with his father during the summer months. Right? Um, I've done that. Leaving home each morning, they would stop at a particular store. And they always followed the same routine. They would go into the store. His father would pick up a newspaper. They would hold on to that newspaper, and then they would read it during the coffee break. Well, one day, after arriving at work, um, Henry's dad discovered he accidentally had come to the work with two newspapers. And the, I guess he says that they were so thin that morning, he just assumed it was one. And so after a moment's thought, he decided, let's take the second paper back to the store or immediately go and pay for it. Um, and his father said, I don't want the owner who isn't a Christian to think that I'm dishonest. Well, about a week later, after this had gone on, some expensive items were shoplifted from that same store, and the police calculated that at the time of the robbery or the, the theft, there was only two men at the store aside from the clerk, and one of them was his father. And the storekeeper said, I know John is honest. Just last week, he came all the way back here from work to return a newspaper he had taken by mistake. And so the police questioned the other man instead and found the culprit. He admitted it, uh, that made a full confession. But Henry wrote this, Father's honesty and Christian character not only made a deep impression on the storekeeper, but his actions also left an indelible mark among, upon my young and pliable mind. 
the child-parent relationship provides another specific sphere for us to live out our Christian walk, to live out obedience to the Lord in a society with different varying ideals of what this relationship should look like and how to attain those levels. There are many, all too many, households in our community where parents are not training their children up in the way of the Lord because, frankly, they don't know the Lord. They don't know how to live according to his principles, so they're not raising their children according to his principles. And there are many households around us, in our community around us, where there's no father present at all. Or maybe they have one or both parents there, but one or neither of them are with them mentally. This passage, I think, clearly speaks to today's needs. That in any home where there are children, we need to instruct them in the way of the Lord. But I also think it's for the good of the community, for the church to step in, not only to train parents in how to live and how to teach their children to live in such a way, but to minister to where those physical families fail to do so. I think we have a holy duty, a holy duty to reach out to the children and to the parents in our area with the transforming message and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel doesn't just transform individuals. It transforms all of our relationships. So maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you need to have a gospel transformation. You need to be filled with the Spirit and able to live this life that we've been talking about. And if you'd like to hear more about that, we have a number that you can call as we have time of response, or you can text in. Or if you would like, we'll have ministers uh, waiting at the back for those that are here in person. But I invite you after we pray uh, to respond in however you see fit. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.